Steve here with a quick announcement before we get started. They only happen once a year. Fig Camp and Lemon Camp are live online intensives about how to grow figs and how to grow lemons in cold climates. These are live, they're online, they're small groups, and they fill up quickly. Fig Camp is March 18th and 19th, Lemon Camp March 25th and 26th. Grab your spot now, you can find out more at foodgardenlife.com. Now, back to the show. It looks like a Monet painting. That's what a colleague said to me one day when I showed a picture of my dad's garden at work. My dad's legally blind, has been since I was little. As I was growing up, his sight slipped away a bit more every year. It didn't stop him from gardening. It did change the way he gardened. The overall form of the garden became more important to dad. He focused less on the minutiae, focused more on the use of line, the use of broad swaths of color, and he loved playing with contrast. He cut his own grass, too, with an electric lawnmower, and never once ran over the cord, even though I once did on the rare occasion that I cut the grass. Last year, I connected with some of the gardeners at the Canadian Helen Keller Centre, which serves the deaf-blind community. Today, Christine Nichols and Gord Johnston from the Centre tell us about their gardens, which include fruit, vegetables, and herbs, and they also give us gardening tips for people with sight loss. Then, we talk with Stephen Price, past president of Bird Studies Canada, all about gardening for birds. The Food Garden Life podcast today is a rebroadcast of the radio show that aired live on January the 5th. Welcome to the Food Garden Life Show with your hosts, Emma and Stephen Biggs, right here on Reality Radio 101. Listening to the Food Garden Life Show with your hosts Emma and Stephen Biggs. We talk to creative food gardeners and food garden experts who break the rules and make new ones. Emma is a 16-year-old Gen Z gardener, author, and speaker who is crazy about growing tomatoes. She's also the author of Gardening with Emma. Stephen is a horticultural veteran who teaches and writes about food production, and he's also a rule breaker whose Toronto yard has figs, citrus, olives, and all sorts of things he's not supposed to be able to grow. His latest book is Growing Figs in Cold Climates, 150 of your questions answered. And now your host, the daughter and father duo, Emma Biggs and... Stephen Biggs. Hey everyone, thanks for hanging out with us today on the Food Garden Life Show, the show that brings together gardening, food, and the human story. And Emma sends her regards to all of you. She's really sorry to miss today's show. 
but the start of the school year got mixed up here in Ontario. First it was delayed, now it's gone virtual, and she couldn't miss this first day back at school. What's your community called? You might know from the website or from the way that I speak that I'm in Toronto, Canada, eh? Uh, but more specifically, I'm in a community that's called Willowdale. And I mention that because as I was getting ready for today's show, I was thinking of my community because all three of our guests today are from here in Willowdale. A few years back, I lived in a different part of Willowdale where I was a block away from the Canadian Helen Keller Center. And at the time, I was spending a lot of time commuting to an out-of-town job. So I wasn't around a lot and I didn't meet a lot of the neighbors. But I remember my dad, who lived nearby, talking about meeting people from the center. And dad's blind too, so they'd strike up a conversation while on the local bus. Well, all of these years later, I've connected with these neighbors and it's long overdue. Last year, I received an email from Gore Johnston at the Canadian Helen Keller Centre, and we'll call it the CHKC for short, and Gord wanted to know about growing figs. So that email from Gord led to a visit to the centre for me, and it's where a place where members of the deafblind community also have a garden. So in the first part of the show today, we chat with Christine Nichols, one of those gardeners, and with Gord Johnston, who's an intervener at the centre. And then in the second half of our show today, we're still hanging out here in Willowdale, and we're talking with bird expert Stephen Price, who's the past president of Bird Studies Canada. It's Stephen Price who first introduced me to the spectacle of chimney swifts, hundreds of them, dropping into a big old chimney at nightfall. Today, we'll be talking about birds in the garden. Get on board now if you have questions, comments, or if you just want to give us a shout out to say hello. The studio email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. Now, before we get to our guests, how are you doing? Emma asked me to spread the word that her website will be open for seed orders by the end of this week. It's emmabigs.ca if you're looking for some really fun, really unique tomato seeds grown by a teen entrepreneur here in Toronto. And speaking of seeds, I haven't ordered any seeds yet because I have to wait for Emma's permission to order the seeds, but I did order fruit trees. My Nana used to make a damson plum tart. And I remember her saying in the 1980s that she at that time couldn't find damsons for sale anymore. And I never see them for sale either. So I ordered some and I hope Nana will, uh, I'll remember Nana as I grow those damsons and as I make tarts from them. And I should also add in today too on the greenhouse question because we've had so many people writing in about a greenhouse for Emma. We've had lots of notes and Emma's had a lot of support. Well, here's the update. I did not buy a greenhouse, but I did get out some articles and books, including one on an earth-sheltered solar greenhouse. And here's the idea. Emma and I will build a greenhouse together. So if you've been down that road of building a greenhouse, we'd love your tips. Keep in touch between radio shows. I'd love to know what you like about the show. What would you find useful? You can also message us foodgardenlife.com and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we hang out under the handle food 
Garden Life. And if you're into podcasts, check out the Food Garden Life Show podcast. And since the last live radio show, we went to Northern England to hear about the incredible Edible Project, a town where public spaces grow food. We learned about passive solar greenhouses from Rob Avis at Verge Permaculture. And then to wrap up, 2021, Emma and I did our own take on the 12 days of Christmas, except we made it 12 ideas for ways that you can give something other than material stuff. Back to today's show. Questions, comments, or just want to say hi, remember, studio email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And without further ado, let's bring our neighbors, Christine Nichols and Gord Johnston, on the line to tell us about gardening at the CHKC. And Christine is a member of the deafblind community here in Willowdale, and Gord is the lead intervener at the centre. Welcome, Christine. Welcome, Gord. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for inviting us, Steve. Yeah, thank you, Stephen. Well, I wonder if we can start out. I'd love for you to tell our listeners about the Canadian Helen Kellen Centre and maybe Christine, I'll let you start off uh, answering that. Tell our listeners a little bit about the center. Um, well, there are two parts to the center. Um, the uh, one is a part is a training center, which I believe is just across the road from where your dad used to live. Mm-hmm. The second part is uh, one or two blocks north of there, and actually is a small apartment building where um, we are able to live with a, 20, um, a 24 hour intervener available to the deaf blind tenants. And that's very helpful because if you happen to drop something vital and can't find it at any time of night or day, you can pick up the phone and, and get help finding it. Um, it's it's a very good place to live. Mm. May I have a couple more, Christine? Oh, certainly. Go. Uh, we also have an emergency on-call service for uh, medical interpreting if someone needs it or other uh, interpreting, say it's emergency in other venues. Uh, we offer that. Uh, we also have outreach throughout not only the GTA, but we are uh, starting to go out amongst the province. So uh, we offer quite a varied amount of services. Okay. One, one thing I could add there, if you're interested or if someone wants more information about CHKC, um, it's www.chkc.org. Yes, that's correct. Very good. And what I'll do is I'll post that website in the notes for the show too for people who are looking for that. Christine, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what deafblind can mean because I know from my visits to the center that not everybody has the same level of of blindness or or hearing for that matter. Can you tell us about that? Um, uh, yes, we're uh, I don't think there's any two individuals who um, are, are exactly the same in terms of um, how much sight or how much hearing they do have. And ap apart from the amount of vision or hearing, the other thing that is 
important in terms of lifestyle um, is we have different communication mechanisms. Um, and so depending upon what age we were when we either um, lost vision or lost hearing or whether from birth we had very limited hearing, um, it, it, it makes for an in, infinite variety and diversity within that uh, legal classification of deafblind. I'm fortunate because I spent the first 25 years of my life as a sighted hearing person. And so the advantage that gives me is an understanding of the visual world um, hmm. and also the ability to have uh, developed language skills in that environment. It's hard to learn new things as an adult, but when you when you learn as a child, it's it's you learn easier. It's more it's more easy to learn. So okay. it makes it awkward for interveners like Gord that we that we all are different. But Gord, you I, I would just say it makes it more fun actually, <laughs> because you know no, no two shifts are ever the same, and that's what makes it probably one of the best jobs there is uh, as an intervener is that you you get such a variety of experiences. And for our listeners, maybe I should just explain that when I visited the center, um, I was chatting with Christine. And as long as I spoke loudly, Christine, you heard me. But when I was speaking with Tom, who's an avid gardener at the center, then uh, he has, I believe, no hearing. Is that correct, Gord? So you have another way to communicate with him. The way I communicate with Tom is called the two-hand manual. And it's basically the alphabet on the different parts of the of the hand on the inside part of the hand so i i'm I'm basically typing out or spelling out what the words being said and following along the conversation that way and with other people i i sign uh, asl i also do tactile signing as well that's where they'll have their hands over my hands while signing um there we basically adapt to how the person requires the information to be given to to them so if they with like with christine when we're in a meeting and say for instance she doesn't hear hear what we're usually sitting side by side she'll tap me on the knee and i'll just quickly repeat the part that she hadn't heard so that way it's seamless that it's it's continuous and it's just what she needs so it's based is that not right christine Absolutely, and and if you if you get too inattentive, I thump a little harder. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's I mean it, each each person is different, and and we adapt what what to their needs, what they need. Now, uh, I know our listeners are keen to hear about the gardens that are at the the CHKC. So let's talk a little bit about those. And Christine, can you tell our listeners? What's going on in the way of gardens? Oh, well, that's that that would take a, two or three hours, probably. Mm-hmm. But, but what one of the things that is going on lately is that um, we are trying to find a few more spots to grow things. Um, I think when you visited, we took you around the back, which 
where there's several little small spots where we can grow a few flowers and things. And, and I have a miniature greenhouse there as well. So one of the things, other things that's happened is that um, we've tried to start growing things that people can, who have limited vision um, can enjoy as well. So that um, we've uh, focused last year on a lot of different kinds of mint um, to, that people can explore and use. Um, also, we grew Swiss chard in the little miniature greenhouse we have so that people could come and uh, pick their own to add to their salads or sandwiches at lunchtime. Um, in the front, um, we've had two new beds to play with. So Gord and I have been trying to put in perennials, which are easier to, um, to look after but that will give us a, a good show of color and make the place attractive. Uh, Stephen, may I just say that some of the neighbors have been taking wonderful pictures of Christine's flowers. And we, uh, it, it, it's been a kind of a neat way for a connection with the neighborhood because she has picked some wonderful flowers to grow. Hmm. That's great. So a, a nice way to connect with the neighborhood and and Christine, from what you're saying, there's there's lots of different things that you're growing, and I think what originally made me think to bring you onto the show too is the fact that there are edible plants in there too. And I know that Tom, who's involved in gardening at the center, is just passionate about uh, plants that he can eat, fruit and herbs and vegetables. Tell us about a few of those. Oh, well, that um, yeah. Tom has a passion, especially for fruits, so that he can make jams and pies and things. Um, he is also a very good cook. Um, and, and he um, he also is, is able to do more food gardening at the center with a, a larger garden area. And you know more about that than I do, Gord, because you work within the center on the the vegetables and fruits? Yes, I, I, I must admit that it, it's great going down the street. We have the stuff here at the residence, but we have a lot more down the street. And I know, as what you were saying, uh, he, he, he really focuses on, on what you can eat. He's not a big flower guy. <laughs> so uh, like the potatoes and, and, and the carrots and the tomatoes, and he's so looking forward to trying some of Emma's uh, different tomato seeds, by the way, Stephen. I mean, it's, he mentioned that the other day. The beauty of, of growing stuff to eat, and he's got his, uh, a whole bunch of um, uh, raspberries, uh, blueberries, uh, gooseberries, uh, gooseberries, black currants. Blue, yeah. You got him the, um, the, the, the grapes, the seedless grapes that were growing there. And, and the Nanking cherry. Well, yeah, Stephen gave us yeah. those. And pride in the front, he just put a new cherry tree out front. So um, it's it, it, he likes to eat what he grows. And that's kind of his focus. Yeah. And it depends on who is, because there's other people that garden there too. There's, there's different um, uh, needs or wants that, uh, that, that people want when they join the garden group there. Like we have someone who's just starting 
He loves radishes. You know who I'm talking about, I know right? Who you're talking about. Yes, and he wants to grow radishes. So there you go. I think there's going to be a few different kinds of radishes this year. He also mm-hmm. wants lots of carrots, please. Yes, yes. This is a new gentleman who's joining us. And and the thing is, that's the beauty of gardening. There is the people decide what they want to try because they know what they like to eat. We had um, last year the Great Canadian Potato Patch, where we had. Huh? White potato, then red potato, then white potato, then red potato planted that way, right? And we called it the Great Canadian Potato Patch. The other thing about Tom and his potatoes um, is how he marks um, where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. You can explain that better than I can. Well, it, it is interesting with uh, in, in for low vision, and this is what this show is about. Um, it's about the idea of temporary landmarks. And so... Mm-hmm. Tom will uh, set up um, um, a rope with different stakes and he can guide himself and find where the plants are that way. And that's the same technique. In in fact, uh, the project this fall uh, was to build accessible pathways so people um, can um, find their way around the garden a lot easier by using a landmark system or streamlining. Also so that my wheelchair wouldn't get stuck in mud. Yes, yes. That was huh. part of it. Just to make sure it was all set up. So when we when Tom when he built this uh, these pathways, we set up guide ropes beforehand. It was basically we set set out a template. And then once that was set up, he would go with the different interveners and he continued and he made this new pathway, dug it out, cleaned it out then put the crushed limestone in, stamped it down, made sure it was all level. We're waiting for the spring for the final test run because we need a good amount of snow and water just to really settle down the limestone. But it's all set up for accessibility for Christine to be and other people to be able to find their way around the garden with people with low vision. Okay, so we have accessibility and then we have this idea of landmarks so that people can locate certain plants. I I wonder, Christine and and Gord, are there other tips and ideas for people with diminished sight on on how they can still enjoy gardening? The use of uh, colors is important because, again, to some degree, it's individual, but a lot of low vision people can see, um, for instance, yellow um, better. Mm -hmm. And so that if you can place colors so that they either contrast with the background or are very, um, very visible, you know, um, they, that works better. The other thing that's important, uh, for instance, uh, in the area along the back where the path comes from the back gate over to the other gate to the parking lot, um, we planted some bulbs all along there but they had to be small, um, miniature plants, because again, people who have no vision or have very limited vision um, uh, don't need to be getting their cane caught up with tall plants. And it's a very sort of narrow edging right along that uh, wooden fence all along there. Um, That's, um, and in that case, you don't want um, anything which is going to be interfering with or um, interfering with the ability to to either use your cane or to run your hand along the fence as you move along. You don't want to get hung up in things. Um, The other thing that's important, I think, 
that we're we're trying to work on now is more olfactory landmarks ah. for instance, so that we're trying to plant um good smelling stuff and also um things that will help repel mosquitoes near the front door because it's open a lot and and most people coming in and out that way so um yeah so we've had a, a citrosa uh -huh. and and also we've planted a lot of hyacinth bulbs um and, and so we're hoping that things will 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 work for people the the other experiment there that's really fun um is trying uh, i've planted some english bluebells because i've never i never knew that they would even grow out here um, but I was born in England, and so I, I, I remember witnessing the beautiful carpets of bluebells um, underneath woods and everywhere in England. So I'm hoping that we can get a carpet of a small carpet of bluebells at the front. The, oh. the one other thing that um, was really fun, and it didn't quite work the way we thought the year before last, Gord. Mm -hmm. I. I got really intrigued by a three sisters garden, yeah. but because of limited space, what I would love to do, and Tom will help me with this probably, he did before, um, I would love to have alternating corn stalks with runner beans alternating with miniature baby butternut squash, which will apparently grow up. We did try this a couple of years ago. The corn did not do well. Um, and the squirrels, I think it was the squirrels. Yeah, uh -huh. the <laughs> they enjoyed, <it. laughs> enjoyed the butternut squash. But, but we may try some version of that again if we can, because that that to me made a lot of sense. And and if you can grow things up um, instead of using a lot of ground space, then then that sort of is good. I, well, I think the most important thing though is to listen to the person who. If you're helping them design the garden, listen to what that person says they need. Um, like Christine was saying about the colors or uh, different things like uh, how they find their way across, like landmarks as we've been talking about or, or different things like that. But it's really important to listen to what the person needs. Hmm. Birds. And birds, oh yeah. And, and the other thing is on, uh, um, uh, when, when you're looking at a garden, Listen to what other people want to have. Like we, we have people who love the bird feeders that we have throughout the garden. And when Christine was saying about listening, it's like some of the people who can hear still can hear the birds singing or the birds chirping when, when someone comes to feed them. And it, it, it's, an, it's an enjoyable, pleasurable thing. If you're just sitting in the garden, you can hear the birds or and, and different things like that. It just means a lot to some of the consumers that I work with. Oh, well, those are great tips. And and thinking about the, the mention of color, I was thinking about my own father because as he went blind, he stopped focusing on the detail in his garden and he seemed to take a lot of pleasure in using lines and, and color contrast. So his garden really evolved. And I remember somebody saying to me once, oh, it, it looks like a Monet garden now. Okay. So. Well, that, and, and, and the thing is, everyone is different. So red is another color that people like. Yellows are 
that and it changes as your eyes change too wouldn't you agree christine yeah it it depends on the, the cause for the loss of vision and um as i say everybody is different so Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I have a couple more questions, but before I move on to those, um, thank you to Irene and Anne and uh, Bryce and James for your emails. And Bryce is asking uh, Gord too, just about the center, wondering, is it, uh, how does it work? Is it government funded? Is it a not-for-profit? Uh, how does that work? Well, we're funded by the government, the government of Ontario. Um and the different parts of our setup are funded. Um, like for instance, our emergency on call, that was unique to the province where we uh, will send emergency on call interveners. If say someone has a, a reason to go to the hospital, um, we provide uh, intervener services there. We um, have the, uh, the, the apartment building here and I have some good news. We've got another apartment building that's just been funded. So that'll be uh, in another part of Toronto. Uh, we have the training center, which provides, I would say, some really neat classes and, and programs with the free Christine. And, Absolutely. And, and, and some of it is social activity and some is sort of um, specific learning geared to uh, independence in your own home uh, mm-hmm. related to cooking and things. But, um, yeah, it's but it's all government funded. That's that was the uh, we do some fundraising, but the majority of the money is government funded. Okay, great. Thanks for explaining that. And I thought for for people who are still maybe grappling with this idea who of people with low vision or blindness still gardening, Gord, I wonder if you can just tell us about Tom cutting the grass because when you oh. explained to me that Tom cuts the grass there I was really surprised and absolutely delighted to hear that well I think your father would have liked this too I mean like uh, first of all let's uh, it, it's important not to limit people so there's always a way to figure out how to do something so with the the lawn cutting uh, everyone I, I think kind of knows what a white cane is right I'm I, so you can use, in this case, a power lawnmower kind of replaces the white cane for, for how he cuts the grass. So he knows by how the lawnmower is going up or down or if it hits something, he knows what's in front of him. Now he's using both of his hands. So I'm doing communicating instant information to him pro-tactile, tactile, pro-tactile uh, technique by writing on his back like if it's if we're if we're going crooked i'll um i'll show the way he needs to go on his back to straighten up if he needs to stop i'll tap the top of the shoulder if he needs to turn around or or if i'm i'll write i'll do a circle where a landmark is and because he's memorized the area so well if i'm if he's in an area he already knows where he is i'm doing the circle he knows well there's a pole there or there's a tree there and he'll know to be careful with the lawnmower while doing it. So he's doing it, and I'm giving him the information in real time. Um, he um, so he he's listening to what I'm telling him on on his back, and and focusing on what's in front of him by using the lawnmower like a defensive tool or a white cane. And we're able to um, go across the lawn, cut it in a very timely manner and straight and everything done like you would do your own lawn amazing 
It really and is amazing. That when, when I talk about landmarks, people memorize the areas they're in. So he knows where he is by touching and finding, okay, well, there's the wall for the raised garden. And if you come to the, the, the Canadian Helen Keller Center training center, you'll see that there's lots of things like that that are good landmarks. And he knows where he is by, by just, it's like uh, the uh, sailors of old, how they used the stars to navigate. It's a fixed point. He knows where he is by this spot, by this spot. And, and then he just works and does that. That's, that's why Tom's bird feeders are so important in, in oh, the yeah. garden as well. They're, yeah, they're, everything is a landmark. He knows where it is. He can use, uh, use that. And he rakes, he does uh, aerating, raking, all the things that you would do in your garden. He uses the tools, but the tool becomes also um, like a white cane form, like the rake's the same thing. He can find things with the rake. He also finds things with his feet. He'll feel with his foot. Okay, I found that landmark. I know where I am. I, I hope that explains it. Uh, that explains fairly. it really well. Um... Excellent. Uh, just a note in from an email from Kyle and uh, really enjoying the program and really loves what you're doing. And maybe before we wrap up, we're almost done, but Christine, you had mentioned to me this idea of visual memory. And I wonder if we could just wrap up with you explaining what that means, because you said that that helps you as you consider garden layouts. Oh, yeah, that's one of the um, areas where I, I am lucky that the first years of my life I had vision so I um, I can imagine still what things would like together for instance I, I can imagine that um, I, the, the height of different flowers um, so I would like to plan so that I plant my iris sort of behind my um, uh, petunias so, or whatever it's um, and, and the color combinations because I remember what those things look like, what the flowers look like. I can imagine if they will work together. I mean, that's especially important. I think I found in the, when you've got container gardening, we've got two barrels at the training center that I really had fun with um, because I can imagine what they might've looked like. We had, we, we put a pole in the middle of each and then sunflowers and then grew uh, cardinal, cardinal climbers around them to go up and then had marigolds and petunias and um, uh, sort of scattered in the barrel and then this past year we had geraniums in the barrels and so it's just because I can remember what these things looked like don't forget your poppy oh oh my poppies <laughs> um, I, I, we grew a marvelous poppy in one barrel this year we put wildflower seeds in and out of all the wildflowers, this beautiful red poppy came up in time for Remembrance Day. Hmm. Um, I, I, I can send you a I can send you a photo of that. That was um, it was timely and it, it was it was wonderful. Like, yeah, there's always surprises. The other thing that we love to do is put in things that will attract the um, attract pollinators, so butterflies, bees, whatever. We discovered this past year. That with coleus plants, um, people usually snip off the flowers. They're insignificant flowers on coleus plants. The bees love, they used to line up to climb up this long stalk at the top. Um, so you're always discovering something new. Lovely. All right, just okay. say 
the neighbors love to see the different combinations that Christine has come up with uh, each time. It's it, it's kind of fun to watch when people come over and they'll peek in and take some pictures or just maybe copy it a little bit. You never do know. I love not it. Every, not everything works. Sometimes things don't work. But that's part of the fun exploring. That's part of the fun of gardening. Well, Christine and Gord, thank you so much for joining us and, and telling us about the CHKC. And a reminder to our listeners, chkc.org, if you'd like to find out more. And uh, well, so thank you again, Christine and Gord. And Emma and I look forward to coming to visit your gardens this coming summer. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. Thanks. You're listening to the Food Garden Life Show. I'm Stephen Biggs, and coming up, we're talking about birds in the garden after a quick break. Okay, and we have some shout-outs today. A shout-out today to Dan for suggesting that we have a guest to talk about birds. And Dan, this one's for you. Tommy and Jan, thanks for the Christmas wishes. And thanks to Heria in Barcelona. We're glad you're enjoying the show, and we love the sound of your new homestead. By the way, Heria put in her vote for Emma, and she says, please get that greenhouse. She deserves it after all the hard work she's doing. Emma says thanks to everybody who sent a note uh, egging her on, egging me on to uh, get a greenhouse. So thanks to Mike, Holly, and Anne. You're listening to the Food Garden Life Show with your hosts, Stephen and Emma Biggs, right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board right now, send us an email. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now back to your host of the Food Garden Life Show, Stephen Biggs. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Well, Stephen Price is a Willowdale neighbor of mine, and he's a biologist, a conservationist, and the past president of Bird Studies Canada. He's the person who introduced me to the spectacle of a whole bunch of chimney swifts descending into a big old brick chimney. So uh, Stephen uh, has also taken part in our community when we've had events to teach neighbors about birds, and he's just an amazing educator for birds. Bird Studies Canada is a national nonprofit organization that's devoted to understanding, appreciating, and conserving birds, and also to engage citizens as bird citizen scientist. So without further ado, let's get Stephen on the line. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Steve. I really look forward to it. Oh, well, we're delighted to have you here. And let's just uh, dig right in and 
let's start talking about ways that we can attract more birds into our gardens. If you had any top tips for people who are really new to uh, bird gardening, what would you tell them? Well, th first of all, thanks for the opportunity. And it is always great to share uh, with, with new or even experienced uh, listeners uh, how they might get more birds uh, in their garden. And one of the easiest things to do, what we, we think of it in three ca categories. What are the plants that you need? What are the features, particularly water features that might help? And what is the feed that you could use? So on the assumption that, that you want to get started with this, uh, th those are the three things to think of. The easiest thing is to hang a bird feeder. And for someone who's a rank beginner, the easiest thing to do is to fill that up with black oil sunflower seeds available just about anywhere. And it may take a few days or even a few weeks at the outside, but you're likely to get some chickadees and nuthatches and uh, sparrows, other things coming to your feeder, either to the feeder or on the ground. And if you do nothing more than just hang a simple column with some sunflower seeds, you're likely to succeed. Now there's much more you can do and we've got time to talk about that, but that's a great start right there. Um, Excellent, so the plants, the features such as water and the feed, those are the, the three broad areas that we can yep. think about. Exactly. And uh, shall I jump ahead? Yeah, go ahead. So um, uh, beyond that, and for some people, that'll be all they want to do. I'm trying to think of simple things to do so no one feels there's a big barrier that they have to do a lot because they don't. They can just hang a feeder and wait. They'll eventually succeed. But if you want to do more uh, and you're if you're looking at a blank slate, uh, that's fine. If you have an existing garden, that's fine too. But you want to think in terms of the plants. Well, and again, the rule of threes. Uh, what trees do I have? What shrubs do I have? What herbs or wildflower uh, level plants do I have? In the tree category, it's nice to have a deciduous tree to see uh, birds that are perching in it, but whether that's maple, oak, birch, all kinds of things there. Um, it's nice to have a conifer too, uh, a pine or an eastern white cedar if you're in eastern North America, or any kind of evergreen that will usually provide more cover for birds. And if you're really lucky, might um, have an owl roosting in it one day after it's spent the night hunting for mice under your feeder or whatever is <laughs> whatever's mm. covering the ground at night when you're sleeping. So it's nice to have both a coniferous or deciduous tree. And sometimes you can get that because a neighbor has one or the other. So you can complement that with the one that might be missing. And so you can think of not just your perhaps small square yard, but also more of the neighborhood, literally, but also the landscape you're sitting in. Um, what, what could I add to extend or complement what else I see out there? So for those who are thinking um, at, at at a more advanced level about their garden, they can they can think of how to attract birds in that way by what pieces can I add or or change. So that that's at the plant level. And why don't we come back and look at individual plants in 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 a moment? But um, trees, shrubs, herbs—the three different levels to think of. The features one is all usually uh, focused on water. Hmm. If you can have a pond. A small pond you add or one that exists or a bird bath whether it's raised or on the ground 
Uh, or even I've seen people who just have a hose with the single drip about every 10 seconds. That can be enough to track birds, often in dry weather or in winter, when you can have a, a heater and a bird bath, you will be amazed at the number of birds that come to your water as much as to your feeder. Okay. And I know for people who might think that a bird bath is more than they want to deal with, I've also seen people just use something like an old plant saucer as a way to create a, a bird bath and it works quite well. The birds don't really care what that receptacle is as long as the water's there. I've used an upside down garbage can lid and I've also inadvertently had other um, dishes or other things in, in the garden that have gathered water and the birds find it. And then they tell you it's a bird bath or a, a place to drink. The only thing you don't want to do is leave deep water that can attract um, uh, mosquitoes, for example, to breed. You want to be changing that water if you just have standing water in a lid or in a bird bath. Um, of whatever description you want to change that every few days, not only to turn out the mosquitoes that might be there, but to keep it clean for the, the birds as well. Okay. Now, I do want to get into uh, plant ideas to attract birds. But first, uh, one of our listeners, Dan, is wondering about birds that eat insect pests in the garden. And I wonder if you have some thoughts or comments on that. Sure. Well, almost all birds, even the seed-eating birds that, that you attract in, in fall and winter, by the time sp uh, spring and summer come around, they tend to focus on insects because they're likely to have young in their nest or will have soon, and they need the protein uh, that they can get from insects more so than from seeds, which are mostly about the, the fat. So, you know, that, that's good for the calories they need in the winter. But when they're feeding young who are developing, they want insects uh, and, and so it is helpful in spring and summer if you're attracting birds and if you have a variety of what we call structure, plants of different height and, and different diversity, you'll attract a variety of birds and they'll, they'll, can, they'll look in among your, your vegetables and your um, horticultural plants and, and they'll pick away and we say glean insects off the leaves and uh, often on the undersides where you don't even see them so that they'll help keep your garden uh, uh, clear of th those insects you regard as pests. I kind of like seeing insects in my garden but Steve that's a whole other show you and I can do about <laughs> the bugs we like in the garden even in our vegetable garden. I, I, I could have a good back and forth with you on that I bet. Oh, I bet what is a pest. So, okay, let's exactly yeah. let's let's mark that as a, a future show. Okay. <laughs> now, getting back to attracting birds, let's dig into some specific plants that people might want to think about to to attract birds. So, uh, we have to recognize first that people could be listening from uh, just about anywhere in the world. Did I hear you say Barcelona? Barcelona, yes. Well, there you go. And I, I haven't got my uh, native plant list for Barcelona ready <laughs> in order to help that listener. So uh, I will get to some specifics, but one thing people should do is try to find out the uh, climatic zone that they're in for um, gardening purposes. 
and what kind of soils they have. Are they sandier or and therefore well-drained, or are they perhaps more clay-like and likely to retain water or something in between? Just so they know, particularly if they go to a nursery to get some plants, they can say, well, I'm in this kind of uh, cl climate region and I have this kind of soil. So it's helpful to do that first. And then you can actually uh, search online and probably find all kinds of native plants for your area that you can include. Again, whether that's tree, shrub, or, or wildflower level. That said, I happen to be in Southern Ontario uh, where, where you are, and uh, but anywhere across Canada and, and the United States, one can certainly use uh, um, for trees, there's gonna be a variety of maples depending on your region, always uh, colorful in the fall, but also uh, wonderful uh, for attracting birds. Uh, on the con that could also be beaches, uh, birches, alders. Again, depending on the region you're in, there'll be different uh, particular species that are best suited to your your area. Um, but those are delight for um, leaf turning color in the fall, but also for birds. On the conifer side, uh, any of the pines or uh, white cedars, uh, spruces, and so forth that provide cover for the birds. I go to the uh, eastern white cedar hedge in my backyard and see sometimes a couple of dozen sparrows roosting in there, either when it's cold or after they've fed or in the evening and they're there overnight. So you may not always see the bird there, but you'll be providing cover if you have a, a dense foliage uh, conifer like that. Okay. Um, can I mention some shrubs? Yes. And so I, I was just going to say this idea of structure in different heights, which you mentioned earlier, I guess, as we're picking plants to attract birds, we want to still keep that in mind and try to have these different levels within the garden. Right. And I was thinking uh, in preparing for today, Steve, that people may be saying, quick, get, just give me the list. Just give me the list of the best plants, right? And here I am being a little more academic saying, well, it depends where you live. It depends on your climate. It depends on your soil. There's a great resource uh, at Birds Canada, where, as you say, I used to work and I'm still a volunteer. It's called Bird Gardens, birdgardens.ca. And it will give you the climactic region you're in and choices, the top 10 plants, but also just a wider variety of plants than we could ever have time to name here. So uh, there are great resources out there. Um, one of the rare silver linings of the pandemic is that been, people have been looking in their backyards, looking at birds and wanting to do more. And as a result, organizations like ours, Birds Canada has put many more materials out online for people to uh, help develop that backyard or garden or cottage or edge of the farm that they want to have more birds in. So there is lots out there for people to find. Excellent. Birdgardens.ca. And I will also put that in the show notes. So that sounds like a great resource. And I jump in because you did say structure and I, I wandered a bit there, but mm -hmm. again, having uh, trees, shrubs, wildflowers at different heights and a different diversity, particularly if you can have native species, that is the species of plants that grow naturally in your area, then you're providing a structure of diversity and height and so on types of, that will attract birds. So again, part of just choosing the right 
plants is choosing a variety that gives you that structure because species tend to fit in, so to speak, to nature in different ways. They have different niches and use different plants for different reasons. And by having diversity, you'll uh, uh, optimize the birds you have in your backyard. Now that said, I did want to name some shrubs that are great for some fruits. Can I do that? Please do. So you should be able to find wherever you are in North America and elsewhere, uh, service berries. There's many different species and varieties, hawthorns, dogwoods, dogwood shrubs, uh, high bush cranberry. These all provide fruits sometimes that uh, people want to eat, but that are great for birds. You'll get robins and thrushes and uh, in Eastern North America, you'll get uh, cardinals, the bright red uh, popular bird, uh, feeding on these. They're often blue uh, berries, blue colored berries, but they can be other uh, colors. They're a delight in their own right. If you have service berries, as I do, you want to eat them yourself, but you leave about half for the birds too. And before you know it, you've got 10, 15 robins just sitting on the branch, taking all your service berries in or your your hawthorn berries, dogwood berries, and so on. It's fantastic to watch. Uh, and those shrubs are beautiful in three seasons, right? Spring when they're in flower, summer when they're in fruit, fall when they change color, and in winter when they provide this lovely structure, even though there's no leaves, and it's a place for birds to perch, and, and it's a little bit of diversity in your backyard, aesthetic diversity as well. I just love my shrubs and wish I had more room for more. I love the service berry too. And I always know when they're starting to ripen because I see the robins popping into the bush. So uh, let's, uh, let's talk just a little bit about feeding birds. For those who are putting out feeders, Stephen, are there any best practices and, and anything maybe that people should not do? Yes. And we'll, again, we'll try to be simple. Um, the easiest thing to do is to pet out a feeder with some, uh, uh, black oil or striped sunflower seeds. If you want to do more than that, and research tends to show that having up to four to six feeders spread around your garden, if you're able to do that, will, will optimize the numbers in your backyard. But, but one will bring a lot. Don't, don't think you have to, again, jump in. But if you're ready to move on, you can. And in those other ones, you might put Niger seed, that small black seed that uh, finches like goldfinches really like. You could have millet, both in feeders or scattered on the ground, sparrows, and there's a large variety of sparrows, a uh, large number of species. So they'll be attracted to that as usually as ground feeders. Peanuts in the shell or not are um, just magnets for different kinds of jays for the cardinal that I mentioned. Uh, so they'll like that. It, it, they may carry them up to your uh, uh, soffit or, or um, east trough um, in some cases, but uh, it's a great way to attract, for example, jays to your feeder. And then another uh, example would be suet, um, the fats that are often mixed with different kinds of seeds that you either make yourself um, or, or you can buy uh, a packaged and go into a little cage feeder. So you can have a variety of feeders with a variety of offerings, so to speak, a different menu, and you'll attract birds and you'll see them go to different ones uh, as well once they they find them all. So th there is a large number of choices there. Some of these things we can even get in plants and I didn't mention um, 
the wildflower level or, or flower level plants, Steve, I mentioned trees and fruits, mm-hmm. but the, um, for example, cone flowers, uh, daisies, uh, black-eyed Susans, almost anything in the daisy family, once they cut, first of all, they're beautiful plants to have in the garden. Once they uh, turn to fruit, they are loaded with hundreds, probably thousands of small seeds in each flower head. So the, the flower head that we see on a daisy or a coneflower, we think of that as one flower, but it's actually a composite flower that's got hundreds or thousands of small flowers in it and seed, therefore seeds. And I have in my yard, the uh, uh, coneflowers that have goldfinches on them right now, but they have them. I have them in, as soon as the plants start, flowering and seeding in the summer. I have it right through winter and, and at six, seven, eight feet high, their structure in the yard is beautiful. And I leave those standing all winter long, tied up so the snow doesn't take them down. And there's goldfinches and other finches, house finches feeding on top of those uh, all year round. So it's my own natural bird seed. Mm, excellent. Okay. Uh, an email in from Mike, who's enjoying the discussion about the birds. And next, Stephen, I did want to ask you about making our gardens safer for birds. And I think a lot of people will think about cats as a potential danger to birds. Are there other things to be wary of and any things we can do to make the garden safer? So easy to do and so important. Um, we do think of threats like climate change and habitat loss and so forth. These are important to deal with, but there's things we can do right at home. Uh, if you have a cat, keep it indoors. If your neighbors let their cats uh, outdoors, uh, have a polite chat with them. Uh, see if you can encourage them to keep them inside. It's safer for the cat in the long run too. Uh, there, there's a big mortality of wild birds from from uh, cats, both pets that are outside and feral cats that have returned to the wild. Uh, Cleaning out your feeders is another thing to do about once a week. Just empty it, uh, wash it out with uh, mild soap and water, rinse it well. Uh, Some people may add a bit of bleach or or vinegar, but as long as it's well washed and drained, it'll be fine. Put it back up and that prevents diseases growing in the mold that can form, particularly in the moist summer, in, in the humid summer. And so second, second thing is cleaning. The third uh, most important thing you can do, reduce or try to reduce, or if you can eliminate any pesticide use in your yard. Now that may not be easy if, uh, depending on what you're growing and how dedicated you are to certain uh, crops, but the more you can reduce or eliminate that, the more you leave, um, the more the birds aren't directly affected and the more insects that are there for them to eat. We were talking about insects cleaning uh, from your, your garden earlier. So those, those are the big three. And if you're planting plants in your yard for birds then you're adding habitat that way. So that's actually a fourth thing. Okay, that's great. Thank you. And before we wrap up, I wanted to loop us back. We started out our show today talking about Willowdale. And I thought it would be fun to wrap up our chat about birds, just talking about some of the more unusual and less common things that you've seen here right in the city. Sure. Well, uh, if you're successful in your yard attracting birds, you will, as as we have done at, at our property, you'll start to have hawks go by. And we've seen red-tailed 
uh, hawks soar over. We've also had a bird called a Cooper's hawk, which likes to uh, go after birds. So once you get 15, 20 bir birds feeding your feeder, you're setting up bird feeding of another kind here. And some people don't mind that and some people do, but uh, there could be a hawk in your neighborhood that you'd be really fortunate to see. And I'll tell you, when a hawk lands on your feeder after you've seen a little chickadee or nuthatch, it's, it's quite a big bird. So I really enjoy uh, seeing those. And then in springtime and fall, I really wa love watching the tropical migrants uh, either leave if they're heading southbound for the winter or come north again if, if, if it's springtime. Uh, that's a wonderful time in the yard. Mm, okay. And I know the Baltimore Oriole is always a favorite here in our backyard. It loves the apple tree and we see that nice burst of orange in the backyard. Thanks for mentioning it, because with Orioles, uh, if you take oranges and cut them in half and just stick them on a twig or a nail in the fence, uh, in the springtime, you'll have Orioles uh, visiting those oranges. That's so much fun to see. Mm, okay. Stephen, thanks very much for hanging out with us on the show. And I was just going to share again with our listeners the resource that you gave us, which is birdgardens.ca. And uh, any parting words of wisdom for, for would-be bird gardeners as we wrap up? Sure. Uh, add, add a feeder, add some water, and enjoy what comes to life uh, in, in your own backyard. It, it's just a delight. Once you, you start, you can't stop. So I'm warning you. <laughs> okay. Thanks very much. <laughs> Bye, Stephen. Bye-bye. Thanks for having me. That was Stephen Price, who's the former president of Bird Studies Canada, an avid birder, and a neighbor of mine here in Willowdale. And the Food Garden Life show is just about over for today. So a big thanks to Christine Nichols and Gord Johnston from the Canadian Helen Keller Centre. And again to Stephen Price for joining us on today's show. And a big shout out to our producer, Gary, who makes the first Wednesday of every month so much fun for us. Thanks, Gary, for working your magic. Thank you, Steve. Also, uh, a big thanks to everybody who wrote in today, to Irene and Anne and Bryce, James, Kyle and Mike. Really appreciate you uh, interacting with us during the show. Now, next week on the podcast, we have a really fun show lined up. And next week, we're talking about common sense, natural beekeeping. There's more than one way to keep bees, and we will be hearing all about it. We love getting your feedback, so in between shows, hang out with us at foodgardenlife.com. Would love your thoughts on what you liked in the show, if you have guest ideas. So until next month, uh, I'm Stephen Biggs. Thanks for joining me today on the Food Garden Life Show. Listening to the Food Garden Life Show with your hosts Stephen and Emma Biggs, right here on Reality Radio 101.